Man, it is good to be here. It's good to open the word of God that his word is the same. The power of his word is the same everywhere. And uh, gosh, thank you for coming to a cafeteria and uh, being a part of this. You know, it's uh, the buildings don't matter um, in one sense. And it's actually the people that God cares about. You know, he didn't send his son for a building. He sent his son for people. And a church is the people together. But to have this beautiful building in Collins and to realize that God's actually the one that transforms spaces into sanctuaries. And so hoping and praying that this would just be a sanctuary of his presence uh, this morning as we go into the book of Ephesians. Um, I grew up three miles south of here and um, have been for about 20 years uh, looking for a way to convince my wife and uh, see ways that we could move back here. And uh, I'm so excited that we live here now. And I, I am looking forward to the winter, but it's probably just because I haven't lived through one recently that I'm looking forward to it. So um, I will regret that in uh, several months. But um, I'm so excited for this to be the first church service today because Jesus said that he will build his church. And he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Gates are not offensive. No army was ever overtaken by a row of gates charging the countryside, right? Doors actually keep things in and keep other things out. We shut the door at night to make sure that our family stays in and things we don't want stays out, right? Well... Jesus is saying that he's in the business. When he builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he's in the business of building churches that kick down the doors of hell. And it's pretty cool that one of those is starting today. Uh, it's pretty cool that one of those is starting today. So we're launching the church by starting a series preaching through the book of Ephesians. We believe that every word in this Bible is the word of God, the very words breathed out by him. We plan, plan to preach through books of the New Testament and books of the Old Testament. The book of Ephesians is only six chapters. A mentor of mine in seminary, six-chapter book, wrote a commentary that's over 900 pages on these six chapters. So you can read the whole thing nonstop in about 20 minutes, but it's stacked with one life-changing truth after another in the way that we get to walk through this letter, taking one section at a time and realizing that there is just a treasure in each section that we get to walk into. We'll be walking September through November. We'll break for and focus intently on Thanksgiving. We'll focus intently during December on Advent and leaving, leading up to Christmas. And then we'll launch January in Ephesians chapter five and chapter six um, and, uh, and just feasting on all of this. And so, so one of the reasons we, we have these booklets for everybody, and you might wanna write your name in the front cover because they're all gonna look the same. <laughs> and uh, if you accidentally leave it here after several weeks that you've been taking notes or something, is um, we believe that God speaks to each of us as we go through his word. And so one of the reasons for the booklets and having notes on every page is, is not because I'm going to share anything that's really worth writing down, but because God will share something with you as we go through his word that is worth writing down and remembering uh, for you and for his glory. He does that. He cares about each of us that much. 
So we have these booklets, they're called scripture journals. They're two different styles. Um, if you like the more artsy one, that's okay. Even if you're a dude, if you like the other one, that's okay. So just a, if you see somebody that has one that you'd like, you can swap or we've got a stack uh, at the connect table too. So, um, but I encourage us all to hold on to those if we would. You can bring your full Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles out there. Those are free for the taking. Um, God's word is free for all. And so we'd love for you to have one as well. So, so we're just going to actually sit under two verses this morning. Next week, we'll sit under 11 verses of Ephesians. But these two verses, we're going to, Lord, we're going to ask you to speak to us, to search us, to turn our world not upside down, but would you turn our world right side up as we dive into these first two verses. Um, I've been getting a lot of mail moving uh, to Iowa and, you know, all sorts of things. Some of the mail that I'm getting is, like, super important, like my my driver's license, you know, moving from that temporary black and white one to actually getting the full-on treasure of holding an Iowa driver's license that I've been fantasizing about for three years. So so I actually was, like, waiting for that to come, right? So, so whenever you get a, a letter out of the mailbox, the first thing that you do is figure out who it's from. Right, we all do that. Uh, if, if we know that it's junk mail, we're gonna maybe glance over it for the newest sale or whatever, but we'll probably throw it away quickly. If we know it's from the IRS, we might wait a while, get all prayed up, and then open it with a nervous heart, right? Um, if we know it's like an unmarked envelope, that's why, for whatever reason, they're now sending important things through unmarked things, right? It's like begging us to throw it away, even though it's important, right? And so, so when we see an envelope, we're gonna figure out who it's from so that we can quickly realize how we're going to interact with what we're opening up. And it's no different with the book of Ephesians. This is a letter. And so in order for us to step into this letter, we need to know who is writing it. Is it written from somebody that's junk mail level or is it written in a way that we need to actually take it very seriously? Should we open it nervous or should we open it happy? And so who is writing this letter is significant. Look at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, Paul is not this guy's name. Realize that? It's not his name. The guy writing this letter was named by his parents and grew up. His name is Saul. This guy's name is Saul. He was a very religious guy. He was so religious, actually, that he had no room for Jesus when Jesus showed up in his life. He so hated this Jesus and that people were messing up with his ordered religious life that he actually was part of murdering Christians because of his religiosity. He was so religious that when Jesus showed up, he's like, I got to kill anybody attached to this guy because he's messing up with my religious life. Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Jesus opens Saul's eyes to himself. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which is amazing, Jesus says that actually. When people persecute Christians... Jesus takes that personal, and Jesus goes up to Paul and is like, why are you persecuting me? He goes up to Saul, sorry, misspoke there. The transformation that's done inside of Saul is of such magnitude, don't miss this. The transformation done inside of Saul is of such magnitude that Jesus changes his name, changes his name to Paul. 
Paul could have been like, you know what? He's Jesus and all, so, you know, he's probably going to be creative because he made everything. But I kind of like my old name better. He could have gone that direction, right? But instead of thinking, like, maybe Saul fits me better, what I love is he says, you know what? Jesus fits me better. And if Jesus renames you, you own it if you're owned by him. So this letter, proudly, he goes, Paul. Paul is writing this letter. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. And we don't use that name apostle very much in everyday life. It's the Greek word apostolos, apostle. It was used in the classical Greek. So back when the New Testament was written, the way that they were using this word on the street was in a way that spoke about sending cargo on ships in the Mediterranean or going on a military expedition. So it's like, hey, I hear you're going on apostolos. You know, it's like, yeah, we're taking a cargo load over. Or, yeah, we're going to go and beat up the Italians. You know, like that's how they would use this word apostolos. And um, when you really meet Jesus, you don't just know about him, but you meet him, you bow your knee to him, and you're changed in a way that you're sent. He sends people out like, oh, man, you've met me. Go. Go tell everybody. So he is owning here that he's Paul. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is concentrated stuff. Like every word here is very intentional by the hand of Paul. And here Christ is not his last name. Here it's his first name. So Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. When he is saying Christ as it relates to Jesus, he's using a Greek word that's the translation of a Hebrew word. I know, stay with me. Greek word that's the translation of a Hebrew word that means Messiah. So Christos just says, hey, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, all those prophecies that we were awaiting the Messiah that would come and free us, that's the Christ, and that's the one that I'm writing about who is sending me in the writing of this letter. Earth's only savior, the Christ. Paul is not going rogue here. He's not like, I need to sit down and write the Ephesians a letter. He is who he is by the will of God, and he is doing what he's doing by the active will of God. One commentator has said, Paul envisions here that he is not only owned by Christ, but is a fully authorized ambassador sent by him. And this is the letter that we are reading, that we are holding in our hands here. So who is writing this letter is super significant. As we go in the weeks ahead, we'll see more and more parts of his story unfold. He's actually sitting in prison right now as he's writing this, uh, but it comes with significant authority. There are only 66 of these letters. So I could receive all sorts of letter in the mail, but there are 66 letters that I could receive that could change my life forever. And those are the 66 books of the Bible. All of their mail could be important. These are the only letters that could actually change my life forever. And this is one that we're stepping into today. And my question for all of us is, will you receive this letter as receiving a timely letter from God to you? That God did not make a mistake that those of us in this room should hear the letter of Ephesians. Will you receive it as receiving a timely letter from God in an age of fake news, an age of content that's designed on Facebook and other places just for your taste 
All of our news looks different because they're trying to cater it just to us and what we're going to like. Will you receive a letter designed by God for what you need, what you really need? So, so that's who's writing the letter. Now we see who the letter is written to. Who is receiving this letter's significance? Second part of verse 1. It's to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. We usually think of a saint. Um, T.J. McCord did announcements. I've known him for a while. Put him more in the sinner category, personally. Saint category. No offense, brother. I've just known you a long time, man. Right? So, uh, um, and uh, you could say the same thing about me, right? Because a saint, typically, is an extraordinary life. An extraordinary religious life, right? That's who a saint is. Paul says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, scandalous. Why is it scandalous? Well, he's calling everybody in the church in Ephesus a saint. He's calling everybody a saint. Saints aren't just people who have lived extraordinary lives. Here's the turn that Paul is making for us. Saints are people who have put their faith in one extraordinary life. That's why we can be saints, is because we have put our faith in one extraordinary life. We don't have to live that life. That life was lived in our place. Jesus lived the extraordinary life so that as we follow him, we are saints. The one who died for their sins, the one who raised from the dead so all could live. So in this way, I could say to the saints who are in Collins Maxwell, to the saints who are in Baxter, to the saints of Colonesco, this is a letter for us. Here's what's other scandalous, too, is that Paul grew up in a way, so Ephesus is a, it's a coastal city in, it's now modern-day Turkey, it's a coastal city that across the Aegean Sea is Athens, Greece. It's not in Jewish territory, it's nowhere close to the temple in Jerusalem. So these people, the way that Paul grew up, is that you have to live in the right place. You have to have the right pedigree. You have to do the right amount of things to be a saint. If you live outside of Israel, you don't go to the temple, you don't have Jewish pedigree, you're not a saint. No way. But Paul has been so radically changed by Jesus that he can actually cross over all of his racial, social, economic prejudices and say, you are saints in Ephesus, and I, Paul, am writing this letter to you. So Paul's whole idea of what it means to be a saint has been turned right side up. The second part of this verse, look how he, the second part of the verse goes. He, he doubles down and clarifies, and he says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So to the saints in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's those who have faith in Jesus, not have the right pedigree, but faith in Jesus. Those are saints. Look at John 1, verse 11. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name. This is John 1.11, sorry. Um, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
It isn't cleaning yourself up enough to be accepted by God. I tried that for several years. It isn't trying to live a good life. It's those who believe in him who are given the right to become children of God. God redefined for Paul what a saint was. And the question here, will you let God redefine to you what a saint is? Will you let God redefine to you what a saint is? Is this letter written to you? Are you a saint of Collins Maxwell? Are you a saint from Baxter? Are you a saint from Colonesco? If not, do you want to be? High school and college, I was feeling so convicted, the weight of my sin. And I would come into groups like this and be like, these people don't know what I'm feeling on the inside, but they look to me like they're free people. It doesn't look to me like they're weighed down by the sin of their lives, and I want whatever they have. I want to get whatever they have. And that's the beauty of not the book of Ephesians. It's the beauty of what the book of Ephesians communicates is the beauty of our living Savior. That's why we're worshiping him, not because we're, we've got it, not because we figured out some way to live a great life. It's because we're following the one who conquered everything that, that would convict us, would make us realize that we are so far from God. And he bridged that to say, come to me. Come to me if you thirst, and I will give you life. Will you receive this letter? Now, how you receive the letter is significant. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, once again, thinking of a letter, this is just prominently a letter. I got some letters the last couple weeks where I'm like, like there are numbers on it, there are big numbers on it, and I'm trying to make sense of the letter, and then all of a sudden, like in all caps, it says, this is not a bill. Have you ever gotten those? Where it's like, okay, I still have no idea what this letter is, but I know I'm not paying anything, right? So, so it's like in light of me trying to figure out what the letter is, I know this is not a bill, and, and this is good, right? Well, verse 2 functions in the this is not a bill type way. What we do is as we look more intently in the weeks to come at all Ephesians has for us, this statement clarifies all other statements. You may learn things from God you haven't heard before. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You might struggle letting such radically new ideas, like we're talking about, rewire all you've ever known, all you've ever grown up under. Grace and peace to you. You might have maybe grown up excited about all this, and it feels like that excitement has waned. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been living in a storm. It feels like it's just one lightning strike after another, and you just need a powerful ray of sunshine to just shine through grace and peace to you. Grace. What is grace? What is that? It's unmerited favor. Grace is you get what you don't deserve. Saying, hey, in light of all this, this is not a bill how you receive this letter, you're getting what you don't deserve. If you pay attention to this letter, if you let this letter guide you into truth, you're going to get what you don't deserve. Grace. You're going to get forgiveness. 
You're going to get freedom. You're going to get joy. Joy from even a guy writing it from prison. You're going to get joy even if you're in a prison like Paul was. God has shown you great grace. He gave Jesus all that you deserve, and Jesus lovingly took it in your place, and that is grace. And that's why in so many of Paul's letters, he says, hey, grace to you, get what you don't deserve, and then peace. When I think of what does peace mean, peace means the war is over. When it's peacetime, the war is over. The war is over for your soul. It can be over for your soul through Christ, pointing you to Jesus. Jesus went through a war for your soul on the cross so you can have peace, so you can get what you don't deserve. The war can be over, and you can rest in. It's not just a generic grace and peace. It's actually from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrew word shalom, which is peace, shalom is a word consistently translated in our English Bibles as peace. Rather than describing only an absence of conflict, the concept of shalom includes much, much more. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, describes shalom and peace as this. It's universal flourishing. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are faithfully and fruitfully employed, all under the arc of God's love. He initiates both. He initiates and he invites he invites you to have grace that you don't deserve through the love of a perfect father and to have Jesus as the Lord of your life leading you to peace. So there are, those are the first two verses of Ephesians. So we, we, uh, the next 11 verses for next week, we won't go quite as, uh, we'll see the whole picture of it. These are the first two verses and they are rich, they are majestic, they are pointing us into the birth of this church. And uh, even in the booklets now, would you note if God is speaking to you about something? Something that maybe you write it in a way that only you'll know what he's talking about in you. But there are a few ways that we could respond to these first two verses. One way that you can respond is by becoming very religious. You could say, man, I'm going to really try hard this week. I've been inspired to be really moral this week. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to sin less. I'm going to give money to some important causes. I'm going to perform for God in a way that he's going to think I'm marvelous and he will accept me. Watch me, God. I'm going to try really hard. You're going to see my good outweigh my bad. My performance will gain my salvation. And this was, I lived this for several years of college, being like, God, just give me time to kind of figure out how to live this thing in a way that when you see my religion, you will be like, wow so impressed. Come on into heaven. Like that's becoming religious and our community doesn't need that. That is running on a hamster wheel of religion in a way where there is not grace and peace. There is comparison. There is not life. There is not freedom. There is religion. You don't need that. Our community doesn't need that. So you can become religious, which is not the invitation of Ephesians. The other thing you can do is actually the other, you can become very irreligious, is to be like, well, I'm not going to perform for him because I'm going to run away from him. I'm going to go where he can't see me, and I'm going to do things behind closed doors that he can't see. I'm going to run deep into sin. That's going to satisfy. God will, 
get rid of me. He'll look, find somebody better. I'll get him to leave me alone. And I tried this for years too. And look at Psalm 139, verse 7. Um, you might want to just write that down if it's not up here. But Psalm 139, starting in verse 7. It says, and this was written about 3,000 years ago. So it's like, this has been true for planet Earth, for people, for a long time. But we still default for this, thinking we can outrun him. But it says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can try to run from him. I've tried to run from him, but I'm only going to be running from the only one that will give me grace and peace. The only one that can actually satisfy my soul and set me free. And so the third and the invitation of Ephesians and the invitation of those of us who comprise Sacred Mission Church and a continual uh, invitation and um, no one here wants to strong arm anyone or convince anyone or put anybody in a headlock and say, I'm not going to let you go until you put your trust in Jesus. That's ridiculous. Um, we respect you way too much for that. Um, but what we do want to do is have this be a place that you could spend as long as you want here learning, asking questions, praying, waiting upon the Lord, asking him, if this is real, show it to me. Because the invitation of Ephesians is not to become religious. It's not to be irreligious. It's to embrace the gospel, embrace the good news, embrace this majestic truth. He is pursuing you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. He is pursuing you. You wouldn't be in this room if he wasn't. He becomes the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, embracing the gospel. You no longer live for you. You live for him. It doesn't come by trying harder. It comes by actually letting what he's done be placed on you. You raise the flag of surrender and take his victory saying that you want him to be the center of your life from now on. Let him rename you. You will experience grace and peace at a soul level. Would you believe in Jesus today? If you walked in a believer, would you walk out firmly abiding in him, putting your trust in him? Jesus is practically for our good too, right now and in the future. He makes us right with God. We're fully known and loved. He gives us a family to belong to. He makes our lives meaningful he invites us on a mission with him in this place. Would you believe in Jesus today? Embrace the gospel today. For those of us who've been trusting Jesus, continue to abide in him, saints of rural Iowa. Let the living Jesus be the beating heart of this church, the beating heart of your life, flooding you with continual grace and peace because the war is over. Let the book of Ephesians establish us as a living church in this community for the glory of our God.